Well, good morning and welcome once again. If you have your Bibles, you can turn them to uh, 1 Peter in chapter 3. And uh, we're going to continue our study of the book of 1 Peter. This book takes place in the year of uh, 53, 52, sometime shortly after uh, Jesus uh, died and was uh, resurrected. And Peter is writing to a church in Asia, actually a group of churches in Asia, who are suffering a degree of persecution. That's not the imperial persecution that comes later, uh, in the later 50s, just a few years later, under the emperor Nero. That persecution starts later. But what Peter is doing is writing to churches where people that are living in these communities in Asia, minor, are experiencing social marginalization uh, because of their faith. They're being alienated from uh, work and from families. There's a lot of stress uh, in the workplace and in families uh, due to the conversion, if you will, of Christians. Some people are becoming Christians, some aren't. And, and so there's a lot of stress. Wives are finding themselves married to a husband who's not a believer. Husbands are finding themselves married to wives who are not believers. Children are often in families where the parents have uh, uh, become Christians and the children don't know what's going on or vice versa. The children have uh, become Christians and, and the parents don't know what's going on. There's a lot of tension involved in uh, what Peter is experiencing and is trying to help this church churches in Asia Minor as they uh, suffer as well. And he gives them, uh, first of all, as we talked about for many weeks, a new identity. He tells them, look, this is who you are. You're new in Christ. You have a living hope. You have been born again. Now that this is true about you, here's how you're to live in your life among a people who are not like you, where you may actually experience unjust suffering. Something that's very hard for us. When we suffer uh, at the hands of someone else and we feel like it's not our fault, we really get angry. And we respond in kind. And Peter is saying, we need to be different because of who we are down on the inside. Our spiritual DNA has been reoriented and so we're different. Uh, so if you have your Bible, you can look at 1 Peter chapter 3. If you don't, it's printed in your booklet. And I'll be reading, I'm not going to read the, uh, uh, the, the whole thing. I'm going to read through verse 18, about halfway through verse 18. And then we're going to save this second part for uh, after Easter when we come back from the uh, Holy Week. And we'll pick that up uh, and, be, and finish the study in Peter uh, beginning with that passage. So now hear God's word. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Have a good conscience. So that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that is God's will, 
than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for the sins, once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. We talked about this. What Peter is describing is a redemptive response. This is, this is foundational to any Christian life. If you see people who say they are Christians and cannot respond redemptively as Peter described, then something is very much amiss in their life. And Peter even goes so far as we looked at last week, he said, God will oppose the wicked. In other words, acting in this way is wicked in God's eyes. And He will oppose those who act wickedly. And so I said to you that if you have a God in your life who never opposes you, who is always affirming everything you do and always telling you you have a right to be mad and you have a right to be angry and nobody should take over, you know, uh, uh, impose on you and nobody should do this and I'm the only one and I'm the hardest worker and I'm this and that and you're always bemoaning your life and yourself, then you do not have the real God. You have something else. You've made up a God. It's a God of your own imagination. And every one of us does that. Whether you're a Christian or not, every human being does that. But Peter's saying Christians are to be different. And so, the redemptive response, I gave this to you weeks ago and then last week again, here it is. It is not responding in kind to insults, to slander, or evil intention. It is having the inner fortitude to break the cycle of evil that spirals ever downward. Action, it is an action that goes against the grain. It is counterintuitive. Returning a blessing for a curse. And I'll be the first one to tell you, it is not easy. If you became a Christian because you were going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and everything was going to be great, then you got the wrong religion. That is not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about suffering. At its very core, it's about suffering. Because at its very core is a man who suffered. A man who suffered to release us from the bondage of suffering. Not, listen carefully, because if you don't get this, you'll misunderstand the entire Bible. Not so that you won't have to suffer. He did not suffer so you wouldn't have to. He suffered so that you could. And that your suffering would be redemptive. That your suffering would accomplish in your life and in the life of others exactly what it accomplished in you. You have that privilege. And to be a Christian at its very foundation is that. It is being willing to go into a world that does not like you, that is not always going to affirm every little thing that you want, that's not going to pat you on the back and tell you how great you are, that is often going to be unjust and unfair, And that you go in there with all the joy and strength and power and love and redemption that your Savior went into your life with in order to reclaim you. He's saying you go into that world of of horror even at times and you reclaim what is there as much as is in, in your power to do it. Within what he talks about God's providence, which we'll look at in a moment. That's what you've signed up for. So we're going to take just a moment now and... uh, Anyone can leave that wants to.
This is not, you know, happy, clappy Christianity. This is tough. And Peter is suffering. And so are the people that he's writing to. And it's so hard for us as Americans to get our head around all that. You know, sometimes I just wonder if it wouldn't be better if we suffered a little bit more. There's either not a single amen to that. There we go. We got one over here. Raul, courage, courage, brother. Hang in. You and I will suffer together. Let's pray for more suffering. <laughs> no, you've experienced it in one degree or another where people, you know, look at your Christianity and they look a little sideways or they're not too sure, and you can actually experience overt persecution, even in America. But we are required to step up with joy, not begrudging, not clenching our teeth. Oh, I got to do this because Chuck said I had to. But I still hate their guts. You know, Peter is saying, look at it. Open your eyes and look. And so this is, very quickly, here's what we're going to talk about. Living like you mean it. Living like you mean it. You know, let's, let's be done with the hypocrisy in Christianity. If we can't be done with it in the world, let's be done with it at Christ the King. Yes? Hallelujah. Be done with it at Christ the King. Say, I'm not going to live like that anymore. I'm not going to be a hypocrite anymore. I'm going to live like I mean it. And I'm going to suffer if I need to. And I'm going to take it in the shorts if I have to for the sake of someone else once and for all. Because somebody did it for you. Jesus did it for you. And He's called us to that. He said at the very outset, in the world you will have tribulation. Yes? But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So as we approach this difficult world in all of its craziness, we are to do it with joy, not so that we can just toughen up and, and, and gut it out and oh, poor us. No, we're going to go into a joy. Why? Because He's overcome the world. And it's there for the taking. But it's going to cost you. It's going to cost me. We're going to have to respond differently and out of a heart of joy and gladness and, and, and peace. And be truly Truly, peacemakers. People that make peace. So, very quickly, here's what we're going to do. Living like you mean it. First thing we're going to look at here is a question, its answer, and a command. That's what we're going to look at first. A question, its answer, and command. Then secondly, we're going to look at what, is expecta- what are the expectations of a redemptive response and how, how do you walk with integrity? What is real integrity? I mean, when you start, you know, you can find out when you start scratching somebody a little bit, irritating them, you'll find out if they have integrity or not. Because all that ugly stuff will just come bubbling right to the surface. But you know, they didn't just scratch Jesus. They beat Him raw. And you know what bubbled to the surface? Your salvation. Your salvation. My salvation. Incredible. Live like you mean it. Expectation and integrity. And then finally, we're going to look at the reality and power of redemption. All in this passage. Peter uh, makes it very clear. Listen to what Karen Job says, one of my favorite commentators on this. The command to return a blessing and good for insult and evil is truly, listen, truly a call to a transformed character. It is the character of people who refuse to allow their adversaries to define them, but who seek to find their definition in Christ. 
You see, you're not going to let the evil people around you define who you are. You're going to let Jesus define who you are, and you're going to react and act the way He does, both proactively and reactively. Rather than just sitting back and every time a slight comes your way to whine and cry and complain about it. You know our churches would be full, literally full, if we really did this. The reason they're not full is because who wants to go be around a bunch of cranky crybabies? Who wants to do it? They can get that anywhere. They can join any social organization in the world and find a bunch of complainers with placards on cardboard going around complaining about something. Yes? Where are they going to find this? If they don't find it in the church of Jesus, they're not going to find it anywhere. And so it's a call to us to live like we mean it. Listen, it may be possible to clench our teeth. This is Karen still talking, Dr. Jobes. To clench our teeth and do something good for someone who has insulted or hurt us all the while. All the while bearing ill will towards them in our hearts. All the while. The command of 3.9, this is a verse, uh, some verse previous, calls us not to a legalistic and begrudging compliance, but to a confidence in the transformation and transformational power of a new identity. Do you believe the gospel? Do you really believe it? And if you do, then the redemptive response is the very thing you need in order to assault and deconstruct and tear down the idols of your heart. And what Peter is calling us to is a radical death to self and radical coming alive, getting rid of the putting them to death, fighting against self-protection, self-centeredness, self-righteousness, and, and tearing it apart. He's saying, go right at it. Don't, don't cover it up. Don't pretend. Just go and tear it to bits. Fight with all of your might. Let the redemptive response dis- disclose those idols and start to work on them. And then, as you're dealing with people and they scratch you and it hurts, keep after it, keep after it, keep going. These things will transform your character. They will make you the person you want to be and often find that we can't be. We all aspire to this. And he's giving us very simple. Living like you mean it. What's the question? What's the answer? What's the command? Look at verse 13. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? He's asking what is called a rhetorical question. The answer is in the question. Who is there to harm you if you're zealous for doing good? He's saying to you and me, look, In the normal course of everyday life, you're not going to be punished for doing good. We do not live in the zombie apocalypse, folks. We live in a world that is filled... Some of you hyper-Calvinists aren't going to like this. We live in a world, six or seven billion people, of good people. They, for the vast majority of those people are good folks who want 
good for their children, who are trying their best to get along. They live in different societies, different cultures than us, but if you just go out and you just look, they're generally good people. Now, I'm not talking about morally good, not saying that they, need to be, that they don't need to be saved. What I'm talking about is most people across the world, because of God's common goodness and common grace, people are generally good and appreciate good. In other words, you could be of any religion or any race, and if you go into a normal place and they treat you right, you appreciate that good. Yes? I mean, uh, just across the board, in a broad spectrum, people are generally good. They don't eat their children. They, some maybe they should. I mean, we don't, chill, we don't kill our young, you know. We generally, we live in, generally, unless you live in Aleppo, Syria, and none of you do, unless you live in some horrifically bad place, you live in a generally a good place, whether it's Germany or England or France or the United States or Brazil or Iran or Iraq. You know, most of the places in the world, you go into a neighborhood, people generally appreciate good and will treat you good. If you're good, they treat you good. There are those pockets where you can be good and people treat you bad. But what Peter is saying, he's asking you to open your mind and say, look around you. If you're a good person, if you try your best, if you're working hard and doing what's right by people, just ordinary, just normal good. Nothing extraordinary here. Just do normal good. He said, who's going to harm you? He's asking you to open your presuppositions about all this persecution and say, who's going to bother you? Nobody's going to bother you. Do what is good. That's the question. Who's going to harm you? Nobody. Do good. Nobody will harm you. They'll appreciate what you're doing. Secondly, what's his answer though? He says, but... Now there we don't like that, right? Oh my gosh, he's going to say but. But... Even if someone should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. What he's saying is, even if the odd circumstance comes out, that by, 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 by uh, unfortunate circumstances, you happen to be born in Aleppo, Syria, and you happen to be a Christian, and they put the, the nun on your house, you're a Nazarite, and they are a Nazarene, and they start persecuting you, even if, even if that horrific thing happens to you, even if you're singled out, the odd circumstance, you're still blessed. Now here's a man who understood this down to his bones. He knew what it was about. And he's telling you and I living in the comfort of milk and honey in America, even if you suffer for righteousness sake, you're blessed. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. He's saying God promises that if you, even if you're born into a world where you're living in, with a psycho, you know, Kim whatever his name is in North Korea, or whatever, pick your dictator. Pick your nutty person. Pick your crazy person at work. The crazy one that drives you crazy at work. Pick them. He's saying even if they persecute you. Even if they cause trouble for you. Pick your crazy relative. The crazy relative that lives upstairs that you don't ever want to talk about. Pick them. Pick anybody. Even if they persecute you. I'm blessed. God's blessing is on me. Think about it, folks. God promises that if you do good, if you are out there actively doing what is right in the Gospel 
for His sake, for the Gospel's sake, you will be blessed. And the Apostle Paul went so far as to say, whether I live or whether I die, I belong to Jesus. He takes the extremes of human existence, life and death, and he says, doesn't matter. I belong to Christ. I am protected. So even if I'm persecuted for righteousness' sake, I will be blessed. And he gives this command, do not be afraid. You know, 365, it's easy number to remember, 365 days in a year, 365 times in the Bible, it says, do not fear. Very rarely does it say, do not doubt, because who doesn't have any doubt? If you say, I don't doubt, something's wrong with your faith. Faith thrives. True faith will thrive in the presence of doubt. It will get stronger, just like, a, like, like, like we train ourselves in a gym the more your faith is pressed, the stronger it becomes because you're forced to look to Jesus Christ, your King. Do not be afraid. He says this, listen, you are not your own, the Apostle Paul said. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Do not be afraid. You're not your own. You don't belong to yourself. And they don't own you. They may harm you. Listen, They may harm you, but they cannot have you. They may harm you, but they cannot have you. I have you. Let goods and kindreds go. This mortal life also. The body they may kill. God's Word abideth still. Do you see? The power of living like you mean it. And what about expectation and integrity? Look at verse 15. He says, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. What he's saying here very plainly, very clearly, folks, is this. Have an expectation that if you are living redemptively in your life, people will notice the difference. They're going to actually notice that you're living redemptively, that you are an authentic Christian, that they're going to... Yes, they may hammer you a few times. They're going to go, gosh, I'm getting nothing back but love and kindness and forgiveness. What is up with this? And they come and they ask you, you know what is the hope? He's saying, trust what I'm telling you. Have confidence in the redemptive response. This is not a call for apologetic or philosophical ministry, although that's great. You know, if you like uh, Dr. Zav- uh, Ravi Zachar, I love Ravi, and he has a ministry of apologetics. Or the Bible Answer Man, Hank Hanegraaff, you, you know, Bible apologetics. Or even Dr. Sproul, he's one of the best apologists in the world, RC. Anybody you pick, pick your favorite apologist. This is not a call to that ministry, although this is that ministry. He's calling all of us to do this. He's saying everybody be prepared. Why? Because you've been responding redemptively. You've been treating others not in kind but with blessing. And it is going to produce fruit. It's going to happen. You know what? They may go their whole life persecuting you and then they go to the next person some years later and that person treats them with a redemptive response and they go, you know something, I remember so-and-so back there. 
he was so different or she was so different. Now I'm meeting this person here and they're different. I got, you know, what is going on? He's saying, trust it. Trust the redemptive response. Dr. Jobes, Karen Jobes says, cultural, listen, cultural isolation is not to be the route taken by the Christian community. Cultural isolation, which we love, folks. We love to hunker and bunker in our little tiny communities, our little ch- and if the, God forbid the church should get to be 50 people because oh, I don't know everybody. Well, what's up with that? Go out and meet them. Can you know more than 50 people? Is it possible? Yes, it is. So go meet more people. See, go actually get involved in your culture. In your world. Meet people. Meet people that aren't like you. <gasps> you know, Christians are scared to death they're going to get polluted. By what? Please tell me, what is going to pollute you more than how you were polluted before? Just answer that simple question. How can you get dirtier or filthier than you were before Jesus Christ came into your life? Come on! Do you see the frustration here that Peter is expressing this? He's saying, look at your life. You were redeemed by it. You were cleansed. Don't be afraid of the culture. Go, get into it. Don't be like it, but get into it. Go in and for it. To save it, to redeem it, to bring it in. And if we hide out and we're scared to death and we're wringing our hands all the time, folks, we are going to totally miss what the kingdom of God is all about. Those of you that were in the orientation class yesterday morning, we talked a lot about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, what we are, we are here to make visible. That is one of our, 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 our purpose statement of Christ the King. We are here to make visible the invisible kingdom. And it isn't going to happen any other way than this. This is how it's done. This is where the rubber meets the road. All, a lot of other things are peripheral to this. This is bottom line Christianity, folks. This isn't there. It isn't there. So don't fool yourselves. It's just not there. It is to live its life, our lives, openly in the midst of an unbelieving world. We're to be out there in the midst, not afraid. Live our life with conviction being prepared to explain the reasons for that life. How can you explain the reasons for that life? What can you explain? Having a good conscience, so that when you're slandered, look at 16, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Peter is saying, you must have integrity in your life, consistency. You know, I I know this is true because I have been this Christian who talks but doesn't walk, whose speech doesn't match my, my claims to a new birth. I've been that person. And I know that many of you struggle with that. Or maybe, maybe you're marginally on the margins of the church and you say, I don't want to go to church because it's just a bunch of hypocrites. Which is true. We admit it. In fact, that's a prerequisite to becoming a Christian. You must be a hypocrite. To be a Christian, you must. But for goodness sakes, folks, once you become a Christian, don't you want to start taking that hypocrisy off and ridding yourself of that? Who's comfortable with that? I'm not. 
And I know many of you are not. You want to live a real like you mean it. You want to live like you mean it. Well, he's telling you, have integrity in your life. Consistency in your life. Become a great repenter. It doesn't mean your behavior is just exemplary. Your behavior may actually look bad sometimes. But be a good repenter. Know when it's time to go and repent and break and fall before God. I'm sorry for what I did. I'll do better. Be a good repenter. Have a clear conscience. What he means by that is walk matches whatever. Okay? Walk matches. Clear conscience. And humility and respect for others, answering them with gentleness and respect, what he means by that is that your talk matches. In other words, what comes out of your mouth and how you act and what you do, that demeanor of who you are that people see should match that of your Savior, should look like Him. In other words, remember from a few weeks ago, example doesn't mean something, the example Jesus was Uh, we were told to follow Jesus' example, is not merely uh, something that we aspire to and try to be like Him, but rather the example is the perfect letters, like those notebooks we used to have as kids, and had a perfect A and a perfect B and all that, and then you you would learn to write by tracing over those letters. That's what that word means. It's the only time it's used in the entire Bible. It's a very unusual word. Very unusual even in regular Greek literature besides the Bible. And it simply means to trace over, write over, a writing copy. And so Jesus is not saying you have to be exactly like me in every detail, uh, perfect like me. He's not saying that. Your, your letters are not going to be perfect. But they'll be legible. They'll be legible. People will actually be able to read the gospel in your life through what you say and how you act. And he's being very clear about this. Look at verse 17. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. I mean, he states the obvious. This is not hard, folks. Listen, he states the obvious. He says, better, isn't it better that you suffer for doing something good than if you suffer for doing something bad? I mean, if you suffer for doing something bad, you should go to jail. Or get a spanking. Or get a time out. Or have your chip cookies and milk taken away. Or something. You suffer for bad. He's saying if you suffer for good, wow, it's better. Better to suffer good than bad. He's stating the obvious. And he's saying in God's will, or God, what we call in theology, God's providence. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 11. What is God's providence? God's works of providence are His most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all His creatures and all their actions. God's works of providence are His most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all His creatures and all their actions. So what he's saying is, if in God's will, in that providential will, you do find yourself living in difficult circumstances, people do not like you, they're persecuting you, or God forbid you live in Aleppo, Syria, or some other horrific place where you're just getting hammered and your life is at risk, he's saying, if that's God's will, don't just clench your teeth and accept it. It's better. 
<laughs> How crazy is that? He's saying instead of going at it with a, a grouchy face and oh, poor me, he's saying it's better. It's actually better. Don't be afraid. Go ahead. Take a chance. One time in your life, don't respond in kind. Respond with gentleness and respect. Respond. Give people Jesus back when they give you the devil. Give them Jesus. Living like you mean it. Finally, what is the reality? The reality and power of redemption. You know, Peter says some hard things here, folks. He really does. And, and you know, I've been poring over this now for months. The letter of 1 Peter. It's hard. You get into it and you go, my gosh, I just, it's just eating me alive. And you think about it and you think, is my Christianity real? Is it real or is it just a facade? Just because I live in an a, a easy place what would happen if i really had the pressure put to me what if somebody really put the pedal to the metal so to speak what would i do really and that's what i'm asking you to do as hard as it is in an artificial circumstance we do live in a great country and we're free people but what would you do and i think there are plenty of opportunities for us in our daily lives with our marriages with our uh workplace with uh, uh just on facebook for goodness sake some of the horrific things that are said and done on facebook you you just go on and on you could find plenty of opportunity even in our wonderful world that we live in to show gentleness and respect and respond uh in in a redemptive way and here's what he says is the reality of that power. Here is how you link your life to that life. Peter, Peter goes into some hard territory, folks. He does it over and over again, but he never strays far. He never gets too far from this truth right here. Look at verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. That He might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh. But made alive in the Spirit. Do you see what He's saying? You can't just breeze over those words. Look, Christ suffered the unrighteous, the, the, the righteous for the unrighteous. <laughs> Who's He talking about? <laughs> He's talking about us. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. He's begging you with all the literary power of the Holy Spirit in this wonderful man, Peter. He's begging you to look at your own salvation every time you respond to someone or react to someone. Think about it. How in the world were you? How can you account any of you, anyone, I don't care if it's the littlest child up to the oldest adult in this room, how do you account for the grace of Jesus Christ in your life today? What makes you here? How did you get here? And not Aleppo. Or South El Paso. Or a stone's throw across the Rio Grande over here in Juarez. How did you end up here today? 
You're here today because Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. Us. Every moment of our lives, folks, are lived for Him, in Him, through Him, by Him. Him for us. He gave Himself for us. And He's just asking us to do nothing less than treat others the way we have been treated. And we find it so hard and complain so much and are so ungrateful. And I count myself at the top. And I tell you, this, is, this time I've spent in this Word here has just undone me. It's unraveled me. And I want it to unravel you because it can change you down at the very base of who you are. The righteous the, for the unrighteous. Me, God says to us, me for you, now you for everyone else. You go live in the world. In and for them. Don't hide. Don't hunker and bunker. Get out there and do it. Will you trust me? That's what he's saying. Will you trust me? Will you? I hope you will. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Uh, I know this is difficult for us. It's hard for us to not be selfish. But I beg you, Father, in Jesus' name, to root out that selfishness to go at it with all the power of Your blessed Holy Spirit and attack that self-righteousness, self-justification, self-protection, self-centeredness, self-idolatry. Root it out and replace it with the glory of Jesus Christ, the Righteous One who died for us, gave Himself for us, willingly, lovingly, that we might not be slaves to this sin. That we might be free, free to suffer for the world that He loves. Please, Father, I beg You, do that for us. And we promise that we will live this life for You. We promise, Father. Please, help us. Save us. Have mercy on us, O oh God. According to your grace. Amen.